Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Wisdom Journey. Stephen Davy is teaching through the Bible in this series, and today he comes to Acts 8. Even in your hectic, unpredictable world, being a humble and available witness for Jesus Christ is possible. A man from the first century, Philip, provides a beautiful example for being that kind of witness. Today, Stephen has a lesson for you called A Recipe for Making Effective Disciples. In his book entitled America on Six Rubles a Day, uh, this author writes rather humorously of his first visit to the United States uh, back in the mid-1900s. He was amazed at uh, the incredible variety of products that were available in the typical American grocery store. He writes, uh, while on my first uh, shopping trip, I saw powdered milk. You just add water and you get milk. Then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water and you get orange juice. I saw powdered eggs. You just add water and you get eggs. And then I saw baby powder. (laughs) I thought, what a country. Well, we know it takes more than powder and a little water to create a baby, a living, breathing human being. But I think the average Christian has the misconception today that the creation of a disciple is easy, that it can happen uh, overnight. Well, the conversion of a soul is immediate upon faith in Christ. But the making of an effective disciple, well, that's going to take a lifetime. So what uh, what exactly are the ingredients we need to be mixing into our lives so that we can grow and effectively serve the Lord? Well, some of the best lessons in Scripture happen to be living illustrations. And so to learn this, we're going to watch uh, these ingredients mixed into and, and revealed in the life of Philip the evangelist. I want to call the first ingredient humility. Well, today we're in Acts chapter 8, and uh, we watched uh, Philip already, one of the seven original deacons, if we can call them that officially. Well, he leaves Jerusalem. He heads north to preach in the region of Samaria. He, he received a, a tremendous response. Uh, verse 6 tells us here, the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And as a result, verse 8 tells us, there was much joy in that city. So you have this citywide great awakening, so to speak, and Philip is leading the charge. Well, now you might expect Philip to become the bishop of Samaria or, you know, the leading church planter in this region. But instead, down here in verse 26, we read something rather surprising. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Well, this is a desert place, and he arose and went. So what you have here is Philip leaving a successful city campaign. Now he's going to go out there to the backside of the desert. And that's why I consider this the ingredient of humility. Big city or lonely desert? Big crowds? No crowd. Well, it's not going to make any difference to Philip because he isn't building up his glory. He's building up 
the glory of God. You know what the church today needs? needs church leaders to add a little humility to their resume. I often think that if David had killed Goliath uh, yesterday, he would have never made it back home. He would have never made it past the Christian media frenzy, the speaking tour, the photo shoots, and, and all the media interviews. He would never have had any time to write his psalms. The world is impressed with celebrities. God is impressed with servants. Now let's add another quality to the recipe for making effective disciples. Let's call this one flexibility. Philip is willing to, to give up what he knows to go someplace he, he doesn't know. And now he ends up in the desert, verse 27 tells us. And there was an Ethiopian, we can read here, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Well, we learned several things about this man from this text. First, he's an Ethiopian uh, statesman. He's serving in the court of Queen Candace. During this particular period of history, we know that Ethiopia was an area south of Egypt. We're also told that this man is the secretary of the treasury, so to speak. He oversees the banking industry of this nation. In addition, we're also told that he's identified as a eunuch. Well, in ancient times, castrated males were placed in charge of the king's harem, or they might have served on the palace grounds in some, some uh, high official capacity. Over time, the term eunuch was, was applied more widely simply to a man who was an officer of the court. We also learn here that this uh, Ethiopian is returning from Jerusalem. Now, he traveled some 200 miles to worship the Lord, and he's on his way home. Let me tell you, he hasn't found the answers he's looking for, but he has purchased a copy of the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. In a moment, he's going to point out a passage from the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, specifically He's looking at Isaiah chapter 53. So we know the statesman knows the Greek language. He's reading along as he rides in his chariot. He's seeking the truth about the Messiah. Well, the Messiah is now just, he just happens to be sending his messenger, Philip, to answer the questions he has in mind. Now, Philip was never told why he was to go to that desert road. In fact, we don't have anything in Scripture to tell us that Philip was told how long he'd be out there or what to expect. He was simply told to go, and he went. This is flexibility. Philip is nimble. Philip is willing to change his plans in order to obey the Lord's direction. In Samaria, the crowds are packing in to hear him preach, but now the Lord tells him to, you know, go chase after this one chariot. And in verse 29, uh, the Lord says to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip is not only running to meet the Ethiopian eunuch, but he's supposed to start the conversation. And he does that here in verse 30. Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? Again, Philip is responding to this opportunity. This is spontaneous. 
and 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 Philip seizes the moment. This is what you're looking for, you know, with that with that car mechanic or or your neighbor, an opening to be able to begin a gospel conversation. Well, again, the statesman's reading from Isaiah 53, which describes the Messiah being led in silence like a sheep to the slaughter. He admits to Philip that he's confused. He says to Philip here in verse 34, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? We read in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, we don't know everything Philip says about Jesus, but we do know that he begins with this scripture in Isaiah and begins telling him the good news about Jesus. Certainly, he explains that Jesus was the final sacrifice for sin, that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Philip obviously explains not only the plan of salvation, but also the identification of a believer with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as pictured through baptism by water, that is immersion in water. We know this because as they're riding along, evidently following this man's conversion to Christ, verse 36 says this, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, Here's water. What prevents me from being immersed, or transliterated here, baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I think we would expect Philip to keep going in this chariot, along with this newly converted statesman who's now drying off. I I think, well, you know, uh, Philip can open the doors of the palace of, of, of Candace. I mean, the gospel can enter this, this courtroom scene. She's the queen of Ethiopia. This is going to be exciting. But instead, verse 39 says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. I mean, before Philip can wipe from his face the water that splashed from the robes of this joyful Ethiopian believer, he is supernaturally, suddenly, immediately transported away. And verse 40 tells us, Philip found himself at Azotus. I wonder if he's still dripping wet. Well, here's another ingredient to add to the recipe. Let's call this one availability. Does Philip complain of the whiplash, you know, to the Lord suddenly transported away? Does he argue that he's been able to start something wonderful? And why didn't the Lord let him, you know, go on into the the, the country and the palace of Ethiopia? He didn't really finish anything except this one conversion. No. Philip just does the same thing in Azotus that he did in Samaria and then now here in the desert. We read in verse 40, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That's amazing, isn't it? Humility, flexibility, availability. Well, what a great example for us today. Let's start mixing these ingredients into our lives today. Well, until our next wisdom journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I hope this time together has blessed you today. This is The Wisdom Journey, and Stephen called this lesson a recipe for making effective disciples. Stephen Davey is the president of Wisdom International. If you have a little time today, it's a great opportunity to install the Wisdom International app to your phone. When you do, you'll have access to a library of biblically faithful resources. Our desire is to equip you to walk wisely through life, and the resources on that app will help you. Enjoy the rest of your day, and join us next time on The Wisdom Journey.